My name is Dr. Kimberly Wiley. I teach program planning and evaluation for the Department of Family, Youth, and Community Sciences at the University of Florida. I offer lessons from our course reading to help you build strong knowledge and skill in order for you to be a successful program planner and evaluator. This week, I talk with Dr. Becky Williams about articulating theories of change. Dr. Williams' degree is in interdisciplinary ecology. Her area of research focuses on the connection between environmental changes and gender-based violence. We recently proposed a project for USAID on sustainable agriculture and gender-based violence impacting families and workers and coffee cooperatives in Western Honduras. How we develop this theory of change is the topic for today's podcast. We know that consciousness raising is an important piece of behavior change. We know that having information is another important piece. We know that having the skills is an important piece. And we know that, you know, addressing the deep-seated cultural uh, norms is another piece. Now, as well as strategic planning and so on. So what we're, we're essentially doing is saying, we know these four pieces of our project are grounded in science and that there's evidence that these things will help reduce domestic violence. Now, if we put these four pieces together, and we put them together in this order, and we apply it in Honduras, will it work? Dr. Williams, it's really great to have you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am a visiting assistant professor. I was, before that, I was here at UF on a assistant uh, research scientist position, and largely doing development work projects around capacity developments, uh, and gender. Um, not necessarily those two things combined, it depended on, on the project itself. But now I'm over in the Center for Latin American Studies and uh, I'm doing a, a good amount of teaching, um, largely in skills-based classes in terms of, you know, how do you actually work with people on the ground, um, situations like that, largely around development work. Um, so NGOs and, uh, you know, those types of agencies, but also community development, you know, working directly with communities and so on. Because Dr. Williams' degree is interdisciplinary ecology, she bridges a number of disciplines as it relates to this issue. And my research is, is mostly focused in Honduras, as you mentioned. Um, and what I do is I have, a, I have a, a strange background where, you know, I basically am bridging eco ecology and sociology and human dimensions. Um, so what I do is I'm looking at the connections between food security, uh, climate change, violence, and migration in Honduras. So how all those different factors are, are connected or interrelated, what predicts migration, how violence is related to that, and that includes domestic violence or inter-household violence, but all the way up the spectrum to, you know, at the state level and what the, the Honduran government and their complicity and in the, uh, the drug trafficking, um, the cartels and so on and so forth that are, that are really undermining security and safety in Honduras. For those listening who are unfamiliar with how these two global issues intersect, climate change and gender-based violence, can you help us understand what that looks like? Is that you know climate change is 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 really affecting the ability for people who rely on agriculture to grow the products that they need on a subsistence level just to eat. So in, in terms of food security, 
but also in terms of being able to sell that um, to support their livelihoods, to send their kids to school, to try to get themselves out of poverty in, in those situations. So when those systems start to fail, um, you know, there's so many roles and responsibilities and norms around gender. And so, you know, as many people know, um, in places like Honduras, there's usually a gender normative role where women are the nurturers, they are the, the you know, they raise the children, they take care of the home, they're really in the reproductive sphere. Um, and, you know, and this is not always exactly like this. This is kind of an overarching view of, of gender norms. It's obviously much more complex than what I just said. Uh, but on the male side, it's also this kind of still has this kind of breadwinner type of mentality where men are supposed to provide for the household. And if if their livelihoods are failing and they're no longer able to do that, and you define your masculinity and your sense of being a man by the by being able to provide, by being able to grow your crops. Um, and then also on top of that, you have this 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 what's going on in Honduras is this what we're calling an endemic level of violence. So it's not just on the, in the household level, there's this pervasive um, atmosphere of, of violence because there's, it's, there's complete impunity, you know, it's 95% of homicides go unpunished or, or unprosecuted and, and, or unsolved. And so there's an extremely high level of, of impunity, of, of vigilante justice, of uh, narco-traffickers and gang members that are basically have their own form of justice systems. And so all of this is creating an atmosphere in which violence is becoming more and more accepted. And men are starting to identify their masculinity through things like violence. And so you've got that overlaying this other issue of livelihoods that are starting to collapse. So if you think about that and you're a man and you're in Honduras and your livelihood is failing, you can't provide for your family, masculinity is being more and more defined by violence, by consuming drugs and alcohol, by being macho, by being superior. And so what ends up happening is domestic violence increases. Um, and domestic violence has always been a problem in Honduras, but you know what we're what we're really seeing is that these livelihoods are collapsing in on themselves, and so men are reacting um, in a way that is increasing domestic violence, um, and also male-on-male -male violence and other forms of violence as well. So yeah, that was a really long answer, but I think it's important to understand kind of the context in which this is happening, and and so this is not a situation where men hate women, so men hit women. There's it's very nuanced and complicated, and so when we come at this from a perspective of, of changing this, you have to really consider all of these different aspects of why this is happening and what it means and how people are defining themselves through things like violence. So as a team, we were charged with developing a theory of change and you took the lead on that. Tell me where you began in this process. USAID wanted us to start with the social ecological model and use a logic model. Where did you start? It's a backwards look at how do you solve a problem. To me, the last you know important thing to me is that this is grounded in science. And so we're not just like, 
pulling us out of our rear ends and saying, we're going to fix domestic violence by forums where people talk. You know, there's evidence that, that this type of a process can lead to improved outcomes. And so the theory of change should take uh, knowledge that exists in science and good practice and overlay that on top of how you think that you're going to be able to work through solving this problem through a program and the outcomes and the indicators and so on and so forth. So walk us through this theory of change for this program. And so that's what, where we really started looking at this. It's like, what are the pillars of behavior change? You know, how do you actually get people to have sustainable long-term change in something that is related to societal and cultural norms? So you have to actually fundamentally shift cultural norms in order to realistically reduce domestic violence over the long term. And that's one thing that we talked about a lot in our team is, you know, this particular grant was only 18 months long. And can you actually reduce domestic violence sustainably in 18 months? And the answer is no, that's, that's not realistic. And so we had to think about it in terms of what can we do over this period of time that we believe will have long-term change that we can measure in the short term as much as possible, and that's actually going to work. So what we ended up doing was thinking about, again, back to what actually changes behavior. And one of the major pieces of that is increasing your consciousness or consciousness raising, which was, you know, comes out of Paulo Freire and, you know, this, um, this mentality that when, when you raise people's consciousness about things, it starts to change their thinking about this. So the first was like, how do we, give people the information. They may not even, people don't even know. And, and in my research, you know, I had Honduran men say to me, I didn't, I never thought about the fact that hitting my wife was wrong. Like it never occurred to me because my dad hit my mom, my grandfather, you know, hit my grandmother. And, you know, it was just, I felt like it was just my right. And that, it didn't occur to me that my wife also had rights. And when I said, you know, well, why did that change? They pointed to the, you know, education and consciousness raising and awareness. So that was kind of like the very first piece of our theory of change is if you raise people's consciousness, then they will be more aware of what, if what they're doing is right or wrong, but that's not enough, you know, along with consciousness and information, there has to be skills. And so if you just tell people there's a problem, you know, you can actually make the situation worse because now I feel bad that I'm hitting my wife and she has rights, but I don't know how to behave differently. So I'm going to get even more angry and hit her even more. Right. So then we have to think through like, okay, we raise consciousness and then what? Um, and so from there, you know, there's skills, you know, there's, uh, there's life skills, there's conflict management skills, there's communication skills, you know, all these different skills that we can uh, facilitate people learning and practicing. And so what we decided to do was to do that in the environmental space first. So teach the, um, you know, run workshops, teach skills, apply those skills to the environmental challenges people are facing so that people learn the skills in a safe space that's not trying to tackle a, a major cultural issue and, um, and give people, make people feel safe and secure and capable to use these skills in that situation. And then slowly over time, bring that back towards gender-based violence. It's like, okay, well, if you can communicate here, how do you communicate when you're angry 
with your wife or where you're frustrated because your crops have failed and you know or and you come home and your dinner is burned like how do you then apply those skills in that context so again you know in our theory of change this is slow over time we raise consciousness then we build skills but then as you know the problem then becomes these are deeply embedded cultural social norms and so how do you change that if you only give the knowledge and the skills it's not going to change the enabling environments in which domestic violence occurs so what we decided to do there was develop what we call what we called forums where we bring people together to discuss and this is where you came in and with some very important points about you know how are we going to do this in a way that is that is safe because you can't just put a bunch of people in a room together and say let's talk about domestic violence that's not going to work so again we start with the environmental we go back to you know creating this safe environmental space uh, or safe space around the environment in the problems that the coffee cooperatives are seeing and this is gender disaggregated so you keep women and men separate and just start talking like you know what are the problems we're facing how do we deal with them and then and then the last piece that we can realistically do over this 18 month period is within the cooperatives themselves is change their strategic plans and policies to more integratively address gender within their organization and so we have strategic plans we have policy planning um, and collaborating with the coffee cooperatives and the idea there is that now that we've raised consciousness, we built skills, we have started to unpack and address the, the cultural and social norms that make domestic violence okay, then within the organization, if we have a set of guidelines and strategies and rules to promote equity um, within the organization, that, that those consciousness and those skills and that attitude will be there to then put that in effect. And then at the end of the day, we should see a reduction in domestic violence. What is the biggest challenge in writing a theory of change? Yeah, and so, you know, students out there, when I first started doing all this, I would cry about it because I'd be so frustrated and confused and, you know, what's the difference between a theory of change and a theory and a model and a framework and, and, and it can be really, uh, you know, if you're out there and you're going, what the hell are you talking about? Everybody feels this way when they're starting out and trying, you know, trying to figure out what all these different things mean. For me, the, the, the hardest part with theory of change in this particular project is, is that we had 18 months for a fundamental shift in cultural norms. I mean, that's just, AID is asking a lot there. And so for me, I think, and, and for our entire team, it was thinking about what can we realistically do within that time frame. And so a, a theory of change is, is, it shouldn't be like a pie in the sky, impossible to reach outcome. It should be grounded in something realistic. So yeah, our, our outcome was to, to, to reduce domestic violence. And that's a huge charge to do that over 18 months. And so like, you know, what can we realistically do in that 18 months? That I think was the, was the hardest, was the hardest part for me. It's not, the, we even, we even put in there a line that basically said, this type of change takes a very long time, even generations. In the next 18 months, we're gonna try <laughs> to do this. <laughs> <laughs> With that, that being said, we're going to give it a go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> one of the things I talk to my students about from day one is that you cannot plan a program 
or you cannot evaluate a program independently um, and planning should always take um, place as a team. What value does it bring um, to work with a team when you're even the, just the one part of the planning process, defining the, a strong theory of change? Yeah, what I what I find valuable here, and the reason why why I look for teams rather than you know necessarily working alone or with just one other person is is the the different the different niches of of expertise. So you know, I I have my expertise, you have yours, and, and they're complementary, and there are overlaps, but you know, I'm not going to come close to my colleague you know Karen who who really knows what she's doing in terms of natural resources. I have you know, my PhD is in interdisciplinary ecology, so I do have, I can speak ecology and I can understand ecology, but I don't do ecology in terms of, you know, climate change adaptation. I, I study the human side of that. Uh, you know, you have this, this, this vast experience in, in literally working with, with people who have been the victims of domestic violence and programming around domestic violence, but your expertise is in the U.S. context. My expertise is in the Honduras context, and so is Catherine's. And so, you know, I, I have a good understanding, not perfect, I'm not Honduran, so I can never truly understand, but I have a good understanding of these different factors of, of the culture and the society and how these pieces work together. And so working with you, I can bring your expertise in gender-based violence and adapt it to the context in Honduras. I can take Karen's expertise in ecology and adapt it to the coffee cooperative context and in, in the work that they're doing around coffee and coffee um, sustainability. You know, my other colleague, Liz, she has a, a lot of expertise in, in gender-based violence as well, but again, in the international context. So she has worked in Tajikistan on reducing gender-based violence, but that's the Tajikistan context, right? And that's gonna be different in the Honduran context. But all these different expertises come together to, to form a team where when you're looking at the theory of change and you're looking at the interventions and the indicators, you can really troubleshoot people's thinking. And so, you know, you brought in, for example, our fourth, we, we, we use the peer system, um, and as in P-I-E-R, um, or pillar, I suppose. And you brought in the, the, the thought that, well, wait a minute, I mean, we can do this, 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 but if there's no strategic plan in place and there's no policy change within the cooperative itself, we may help out at the family level, but we're not gonna help out at the cooperative level. And it's like, okay, you're right. So let's take a, let's take a step back. Let's look at our theory of change again. And you know what is going to make this outcome of reduced gender-based violence actually sustainable within the coffee cooperative. And so, you know, working with a team, you know, you can really leverage people's different, you know, abilities and expertises and backgrounds to, to troubleshoot. What's your number one tip to the students for assessing the strength of the theory of change? Yeah, my, my number one piece of advice is know your subject matter. Um, you know, hopefully whatever program they decide they're going to develop is going to be within their area of expertise or their area of interest in, in studying. So do your homework in the literature review and the review of the documentation and so on. Um, you know, be sure that you actually have a good understanding so that when you're putting together your theory of change, you can troubleshoot those pieces. So for example, if you're only, if you're doing something like capacity development where you're trying to build an organization's capacity to do something and you're only looking at training, you're fundamentally missing 
the fact that the organization functions in a certain way that can that can that can prevent a person who has received training from being able to use that training and the environment in which that that organization is working you know there may not be the laws and policies and processes in place for that organization to be able to 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 use that you know that information so know that if you're doing a capacity development project that it's not just you know training but it's the human capacity the organizational capacity and the enabling environment and there's literature out there that will explain that this is an advanced level methods class where students have already built a great bit of knowledge and youth development and family development and they're going to use this knowledge to develop their own theory of change so they're going to dig into the literature they're going to find programs that work and develop their program based on this evidence that's fantastic and that's that's what should happen and students out there not all developments and uh and you know and nonprofits do that sometimes they are just kind of making it up as they go along and i do have an ethical um problem with that because of the the waste of resources and the when i when you work on gender-based violence and, and or violence generally there is the there is the uh, possibility of backlash and you just don't want to be put yourself into a situation where you've developed a program that results in harm because you haven't done your homework in making sure that the pieces are actually going to work together. So Dr. Williams and I and our team of scholars and an NGO on ground in Western Honduras submitted our application to USAID. Keeping our fingers crossed that the program gets funded and we get to address gender-based violence in the coffee cooperatives in Western Honduras.